welcome to episode 65 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Proudly brought to you by H. Parsons Funeral Directors, an Australian family-owned and operated funeral director serving the Illawarra since 1893. Firstly, I would like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the football public of the Illawarra, Australia and the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the brilliant people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Norm Boardman is our interviewee in episode 65. A humble and passionate football man, Norm started his journey at East Bankstown Soccer Club and it is here where he learnt about the game and made some great friendships amongst fantastic people. It is apparent when listening to Norm that he has acquired a wide array of experience and diversity in his appointments. He seems to challenge himself all the time as a coach and as a person. For Norm, self-reflection is an important asset to use and he utilises this for the benefit of himself and others. He is passionate about the game and coaching. He believes no matter what level a player is at, they deserve to get coached properly and reach their maximum potential. He has coached in various positions across the different tiers in Australian football, but ultimately he loves being on the ground because when he has his boots on, working with kids, players and parents, that is where he is the happiest as a coach. It was truly fascinating and an honour to hear about his footballing journey. I sincerely thank and appreciate the time Norm took in recording this episode. He has no plans to retire and nor should he, based on the passion I hear in his voice. Please note, as this episode was recorded over mobile phones, there are some slight issues at times with audio quality and for that I apologise. Please enjoy episode 65. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in my study in Coromel and I've got on the line a very, very special guest in Norm Boardman. Norm, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, no, mate, and thank you for, uh, for inviting me on. Can we start uh, with the earlier part of your life? Yep. You were born in 57 in Paddington in Sydney. Um, can you tell us a bit about your uh, early upbringing in terms of where you lived and, and what your family did? We lived in Greenacre. Uh, I'm a Greenacre boy, born and bred, obviously. And, um, yeah, we, we lived in housing commission's house in Greenacre. We come from a family of 12. At any one time, there was eight people in the in the three-bedroom house. So you could imagine uh, it was uh, at meal times. It was, you know, every man for themselves and, and girl for <laughs> themselves. And, and it was, uh, no, but it was great. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it was just a, such a great upbringing. And, uh, you know, mum was pretty sick when I was young and, and dad, Worked a fair bit because back in the day, obviously got plenty of mouths to feed and things. So yeah, it was really good. You know, I always say to uh, to people, it, it it just makes you. I think it makes you a better person. Um, you know, if you if you get a little bit tough and you got to work hard or do whatever you need to do, um, then that that's what you do. And you know, um, it's it's given me a really a really good handle on on life and you know all its traps trappings and things like that. So. 
you know, um, I wouldn't swap it for anything. And in terms of, uh, I know in the timeline um, when we uh, emailed each other back uh, about what you've done in in the game of football, um, there's quite a bit to go through. Um, And there was some other sports in there. But what was your first memory of of football that you can recall? It's quite funny, actually. Well, it is now. It could have been been very dangerous. But my brother, uh, Mark, was instrumental in getting me involved in football. And um, my other brothers were rugby league predominantly rugby league people. Uh, yeah. They had dabbled in a bit of soccer, but not much. So that was um, that was good that, you know, Mark was a, a real soccer head. Um, and, yeah, my first memory was as, as basically as a four-year-old, I was being doubled. He doubled me to uh, – he used to take me to training, take me to games and things like that. Um, and that was back in the day when you'd ride a bike for fun. So he, he rode his bike everywhere. And, unfortunately, one uh, one day on the way to – way to the game uh, we ran into a tree and uh, <laughs> he put me into a tree and he, he still says to this day i oh, know you stuck your, your your foot in the in the uh, spokes and made me go off balance and run into the tree well I, I never had any injuries in my feet no i haven't got any marks on my feet where i put my feet into the spokes so i think he's uh i think he's having a lender me there but he still says to this day that um, that no uh, norm put his feet in the spokes so anyway in terms of that first junior club, was it the East Bankstown Soccer Club that you first joined? Yeah, that's right. I, I played with East and, um, yeah, I, was, I, was, I actually went back about six or seven years ago and played in the over 45s, still playing the over 45s back there. And we have uh, seven seven life members uh, who weren't there in that time. I'm a bit older than them. But um, we have seven life members who play in that over 45 uh, team and it's uh, sensational. It's still fun playing at the park and, you know, seeing all the old heads again and, uh, yeah, that sort of thing. But, yeah, I started there and uh, and basically just, you know, I think that gave me a great grounding uh, in, you know, in in family in in what was important in, you know, in, in the bigger scheme of things and, um, a bit, a little bit later, I'll talk to you about the person who got me involved in football, and they were basically my second family. Well, we we can talk about it now if you want. And and who was that family that that sort of uh, linked you into the game? Yeah, it was a bloke, guy called Don Hubbard, and they lived across the road from the park. I lived about two minutes walk from the park, um, and it was uh, it was that family involvement with with many, many people in the club that, that uh, it was a real family club, still is now. And, you know, they care for everybody and they make sure everyone's safe and looked after and things like that. And I was, I was a seven-year-old kid going up the park on a Saturday and Sunday morning sometimes when they played on Sundays in them days. But mainly on Saturday mornings, I'd go up and help put the nets up and set up the field for the, you know, for the day. Um, and that was my, that was my home, you know, um, me and my best mate. And we've been friends now nearly 60 years and uh, we, we used to go up the park all the time and help put the nets up and pick up papers after the, the seniors had finished in the afternoon and get a crusty old pie that had been in the <laughs> oven all day and, and a soft drink. But that was our, you know, that was our that was our growing up. That was our existence in them days. It was, you know, um, that was like a second home to us. And, you know, the people, and as I said, Don Hubbard, who got me involved in coaching, took me under his wing because he was one of those that were up the park and putting nets up and things, committee people and, and people like that. They always looked out for you. Um, they knew where we were and things that all the time. And, and it was, uh, it was a great existence. And again, you know, I wouldn't swap a minute of that for anything. And, uh, and that's, that's what sort of carved me into, you know, and people talk, well, why, why did you get involved in coaching? I think when I, again, when I talk a bit later on about my playing, um, I was probably, you know, the, the, the good Lord probably said, no, you're going to be a coach, son. 
you know, and, and, and I've been blessed to to be involved in the game for so long. So, yeah, that that was a great time back at East Bankstown, and, and it was a real good family club. And we were only talking about it the other day with my wife, and um, that was in the day when you get in a bus and go out to Warragamba Dam and have a picnic uh, for your presentation day, you know, and they'd, they'd have races, you know, you'd have 100-metre rate or 110-yard dashes in the old day. Um, you know, they'd, they'd have kick the ball competitions, throw the ball competitions, um, everybody was was involved in it, and they were great. You know, it was a full on day. As I said, you get the bus out to Warragamba Dam, and uh, but these days, you know, they have their presentations in a club and all that sort of thing. And you know, and that was back in the day when you, you know, when you had that that option of not option, but that feeling of wanting to get outside and, and just play. And we we just played soccer all day, and then they'd have the races, and then they'd have some lunch, and then they'd have any had some bags of lollies and stuff like that, and uh, and then you get your little trophy, um, and then uh, you know head home in the bus again. So it was all good. You spoke there of a uh, uh, best friend that you uh, played with as well. Uh, who, who was that? Yeah. And are they still involved in your life? Uh, yeah, Andy. Andy Hudson. He's my he's my best mate, um, and he's he's just like a family member. We always. We always talk about that. Yeah, I see him every couple of weeks. So I go up to Sydney and uh, catch up with him. Uh, not as much as I used to, but, you know, uh, try to get there, you know, at least once a month. Um, but, yeah, still still in the life now and uh, still talk to him. And he's a marvellous little character. He's ever since phones were invented, like uh, the big brick mobile phones and that, he rings me and hangs up. <laughs> him back <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it but he, that's that's his uh, quirky little thing but we played cricket and soccer together we we'd play in the park and um we'd play inside the six yard box if we were one-on-one um and then you know a couple of friends had come along and then we'd open it up to the penalty box and put in a couple of jumpers on the ground or whatever it may be maybe a pair of shoes and then play football and uh, you know that's what we did and and there were times when you know uh i'm going right back to the early days and you know, we'd play cricket in the park and, um, you know, I'd, I'd be batting and he'd run in from 20 metres, you know, and, and like Dennis Lilly and run in and, and bowl and, and I'd hit it and he'd go and have to run and get it. And I'd, I'd make as many runs as I could while he was getting the ball and when he got the ball. <laughs> and then it was the same thing. And, uh, you know, and, and we that was a, that was the existence we had. And I'm sure everybody out there could 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 attest to what they did and, and the things that they done that, you know, and I, I've got to say, he's he's probably as much an inspiration to me as anybody ever was in in terms of you know how how I've turned out um, because he was always you know he was always, he's a good little ball player um, and you know he was quite a tricky character whereas I, I was a bigger a bigger bigger person so I didn't move as quickly as him but he was over five ten meters he was he was dynamite and he had a great little left foot but uh, yeah I, I'd say he, he was probably very inspirational in in what I you know what I turned out to be. We played cricket together. We had a lot of good times playing cricket together, and and only at club level and things like that. But such, such you know, such memories that we always uh, always bring to the table when we when we have a chat and that. So it's always good. And apart from Don Hubbard, um, was there another coach or or parent that um, coached you through the junior ranks at, at East Bankstown? Yeah, there's a bloke called Jack Silburn. Jack was a Jack was a roof tiler, and uh, he was a marvelous fellow. He was. Uh, he was ahead of his time in my in my in my opinion. He used to what would happen is he used to have a ball on a, a toggle because the yeah. balls had laces in those days, right? So they were quite heavy when they got wet too. By the way, if anyone's listening, <laughs> and there, 
they'll know they'll, they'll know that it's for sure. Um, but yeah, so they were leather balls, and they they'd have a um, a tie, sorry, at the top, like, um, yep. and so he he got a toggle and, and attached it to the ball, and he he wrapped it around the goalpost, and we had to run in and head it. At the end of training, we had to run in. We could run in from the edge of the penalty box, um, and you had to head the ball, and it had to like the number of times it went around the goalpost. If you got the most, you were the winner. <laughs> so, <laughs> invariably, there's another friend of mine, uh, Graham Patterson, who was a, a solid little character, but he played centre back, and um, he just he he never lost. He just had this tremendous ability to head the ball, and he was a strong little bugger. And uh, yeah, so he he usually won. Well, he, he always he never lost a, uh, one of them heading contests. But I say Jack was ahead of his time with that sort of invention that it, you know these, that he's got this ball on a toggle on a on a rope on, and wraps it around the post. But uh, he was a lovely bloke. And uh, at the end of training, um, none of these seat belts and things and safety. We'd get in the back. <laughs> we'd get in the back of his ute. Um, and he'd drive us all home, and I'd be the last one dropped off because I only lived 200 metres or 500 metres from the park, but I'd, I'd go all the way around, and he'd drop me off on the way, um, way way to his place. So that was my existence, and he was, as I said, an, an, an very inspirational man and a good family man, um, and, you know, again, I couldn't fault the, the upbringing I had with that guy and uh, and the manager of the team was just, uh, just another good person. Um, and they, they all, as I said, they're all good club people and very dedicated to making sure that they're looking after the player. How many years did you spend at East Bankstown before you then joined um, Polonia Soccer Club? I was there. I can't, I can't recall exactly, but I, I got when I went, they have a service awards for the club and I just got my 35th last year, which means that I, I was away from the club for like, um, I think, 10 years. Yep. 10 years in the state league. So, um, yeah, so uh, as I said, I just got me 35 the other year because um, when I've been working my different jobs over the years at Football Australia and Football New South Wales and things like that, I've had to get a game where I could. So, you know, I played, I think I played three years or four years at, at Angadine Eagles in the um, in the Sutherland comp. I had a year at Blacktown with my brother. Um, yeah, so I just been trying to get you know playing where I can fit it in you know like when I when I coached at uh, at Dandy um, I couldn't um, uh, if we played on the Sunday I could only play the early games over at Engadine um, so I had to play where you know wherever I could get a game game over the last 15 to 20 years. So what was the uh, uh, thinking at the time when you um, went from East Bankstown to Polonia? Um, look I just wanted to give it a crack um, I didn't didn't know um, I didn't play a lot of rep football when I was young um, and uh, and I just wanted to give it a crack and see how I'd go. And then, yeah, I, another good mate of mine um, said to me, look, you know, come over and have a go at it. And I went over. We, we were playing at Concord Oval in them days. Um, and and this was Federation football and, and, and what are you, sort of 16, 17? 17, yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, so I went there and, um, as I said, it was, was good. Um, played in thirds and seconds and... Um, and a couple in first, um, and yeah, it was a good experience, and yeah, I, I, I really had a lot of fun, and that's what sort of got me sparked at the thinking that maybe I could, you know, go and go to the next level. And being of that period of time, where in the mid fifties and then early sixties, uh, the immigration from from Europe of of people 
from different ethnicities. Um, Polonia was one of those clubs that, that sprung up. Yeah. So how did you find it um, coming from East Bankstown? Yeah, they were, they were good people. They, they were good people up there. The Molsky brothers were were uh, synonymous on the committee. And I I um, I was playing as a well, sweeper in them days. Um, and that's where I learned a lot from the, the first grade coach, was Manfred, a guy called Manfred Irvas. He was a central defender in um, in, in Poland and he retired from the first division and, and they asked him to come over. So they got him over here. And uh, yeah, he taught me a lot about, uh, about you know, playing at sweeper and but it's all changed now because we don't really have a sweeper anymore. But uh, yeah, it was, was good. And the, the people were great. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of good people up there. They looked after us after every game. You know, they always... They always uh, fed us and gave us some drinks and things like that. So, yeah, they, they were, that was a good introduction into what Federation football was about. Um, you know, got to play on a lot, lot of lovely grounds, um, you know, so it was was nice. And and what are um, some of those grounds that still stick in the memory that you, that you played at? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, I mean, we got to play on the Sydney sports ground in a, in a show, um, a show, showpiece match as a youngster. And, you know, Wentworth Park playing down there, it was, that was quite good as well. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, there's a lot of good grounds around. I mean, I've played on, you know, lot, lots of them anyway. You know, over the years when I played, I moved to Croatia. was when I played for South City Croatia. That was interesting um, because Ron Corrie was the first grade goal, goalkeeper, World Cup goalkeeper. Yeah. And, and we, you know, I was amazed. It was the first time I'd ever seen people at training. There was 50 to 60 people there every every week, um, you know, on a Thursday night and that, just watching the first grade train. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, there was one night that sticks out in my mind. It was pouring with rain and they were out there with the umbrellas and that, just watching the first grade train and that sort of thing. You know, so that sort of thing was a, a big eye-opener to me. Um, unfortunately, I only lasted uh, uh, last half a season. I got injured there, but... Um, you know, I played in thirds and seconds, so uh, it was was a really good introduction for me, and uh, and I was I was grateful because the uh, there was a person at my club at East Bankstown. I coached uh, one of his sons. He had two sons, and one of them went on and played first grade at, at South Sydney Croatia. Tommy Tommy Basic, and um, yeah, and and Tony took me down to to uh, to training, and you know he used to pick me up and take me down to training all the time, which was really good. Had a great experience there. And when we're talking about these experiences at Polonia and, and South Sydney, Croatia, um, I've uh, looked back at many newspapers and, and read through quite a bit, but you spoke about it in terms of crowds at training, but the crowds on game days were were of a uh, you know, high number as well and, and there was a lot of passion out there. Oh, absolutely. And I, I remember you know, when I was little, we, we used to get, a team each uh, would get invited by the association to go down uh, to go down to Bankstown Oval and be ball boys. So you know we got a turn, uh, and we used to go down with Jackie. Jackie's boy played there anyway, and Jack would take us down and bring us home. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd be ball boys for the game from time to time at Bankstown Oval, and and the people, you know, the numbers there were like two thousands and things like that. And uh, it's you know I don't think they get that sort of big crowds now in the state league. Um, you know, they might get them at finals times and that, or FFA Cup games, they'd, they'd get them. But, uh, yeah, they were good crowds in those days. And, uh, yeah, and it was a lot different. Um, you know, people people sort of had a little bit of time to go to football and that sort of thing, and it wasn't so much on television. So I suppose their day out was, you know, and a lot of these, um, a lot of the, 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 the Croatian people, the Polish people, the you know, the people from that have come over from uh, Europe and that and bought their 
traits with them. They'd come to the game and, you know, they'd uh, they'd bring their peanuts and things like that and peel them and, you know, throw the, throw the shells on the ground and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it was – and I think that was, that was a, a, another thing that sort of made me, you know, made me what I am now and made me as passionate as I am now about the game. Uh, it was just thinking about those times and, and all those people that, that was their day out, you know, they'd – Probably then people would probably you know work all week for the football on the weekend and they they just love coming out to the game and you know unfortunately you know toward the end uh, when they changed everything it was sort of getting a little bit you know sometimes sometimes getting a little bit out of hand but uh, yeah look it was, it was again it was a great part of that puzzle or that picture that we paint uh, of our life and and, uh, and and it inspired me again to you know to, to stay involved in the game and, and and help people at all levels in the game. So you went from Polonia to South Sydney, Croatia. Um, was that more about opportunity, even though you said you did get injured at Croatia? Yeah, look, um, and I spoke to I spoke to Tony about it, and and he's look, I told him where I'd been playing, and and he said, well, why don't you come and give it a go? And yeah, I, I just came and gave it a go. And look, at the end of the day, as I said, uh, I probably wasn't, you know, I started a bit off the bench um, in thirds and seconds, and uh, and I was playing in the middle of the park then. And yeah, it was, it was a good experience. And, and, and as I said, some of the fields you're playing on Marconi, Arbia's ground, you know, you, you're playing on some some really, you know, nice nice pitches in them days. And uh, yeah, it's, and, and the people I played with were, were all, and again, the, the people on the committee and the people that, that were supporters. And you know, even if you're playing in the third grade or the second grade, they were they were still there. You know, they used you know people would come and watch the three games. You know, uh, not. Not that they, they don't do a lot of that now. They don't have three games now, I don't think. But yeah, in them days, you, you'd see you'd see a lot of people, not all all of them, but you'd see a lot of people there at you know at the third grade game, and they'd still be there at the first grade game. <laughs> I mean, it was a thing for for me to stay behind and watch, or, or a lot of us to stay behind and watch. But uh, when you get somebody there, you know, they love the game so much like they do, and they they're there for you know maybe two or three grades. That that shows a lot of passion and. And as I said, the, the clubs have always, every club I've been at, have always been top notch, you know, with, with people helping out and things like that. Your next move uh, after Croatia, you went to North Bankstown in, in State League Three. Um, uh, was that more, like you said, you had an awareness about your abilities and, and where you were placed in the game? Or was that more of a uh, you saying to yourself, well, I should go down to this level and, and try and play first in State League Three? I think what what happened there was my brother got in earlier because he was playing for Norse and they what happened with them they they won some ridiculous amount I think it was ten in a row um, premierships at North Bankstown they won some state cups and and champion of champions and things like that along the way um, and they decided that they wanted to get move into the state league three with with that side that was you know pretty. Uh, pretty, pretty successful in local club football, so they challenged themselves with a few of them going into that that level. So he said to me, um, you, you know, he said to me, you want you know, come down and play, and he was because he was my brother. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll go and play with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and that was uh, that that was good. I, I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed it a real lot because I did, I'll tell you the truth, and you know, I don't I don't care. I don't have the best to be the greatest soccer player in the world, um, but um, you know. I thought I'll get a lot more game time there, and I'll try and establish myself, and then move back into move back into something higher if I'm good enough later. So uh, yeah, so that's that worked out all right for me at North Bankstown, and um, 
yeah, we had a lot of good times down there. It was a lot, lot more social than the, than the, um, you know, than the next league up for, for you know, lots of different reasons. But uh, yeah, and I mean, the pitches weren't great, but they weren't that bad either. Some of them were pretty good. We played on, we played on um, the Greyhound track at uh, Yaguna there, and uh, and it was always uh, a nice surface. Uh, well, we did play on the Greyhound track. The Greyhound track went around, around it. it. Yeah. Similar to our, uh, similar, similar to Wentworth Park. But yeah, it was. And I remember my memories of that were it was a huge ground too, and uh, the teams that came to play us down there didn't like it a lot because it was so big in them days. So uh, yeah, and that was, as I said, it was a good experience down there. But I did get what I wanted, uh, and I wanted you know I wanted to get more game time and maybe play you know play at a lower level where I could get a bit more success and then go back maybe hopefully you know the next year uh, somewhere else with a bit more confidence about how I was going. And did you get a chance there at? At, at North Bankstown to to play with your brother in the same team. Yes, band? yeah, we played we played in the same team often. I mean, he's a bit old. He's a bit older than me, but uh, he always says he's younger. But he he's a bit older than me, and uh, yeah, he was he was up and down in the, in the first team, and so that was that was good to get to play with him because uh, as I said, I'd only played with him then, and then I played with him again at Blacktown in the in the over thirty fives years ago, um, and that was fun too. And so we're talking roughly around the sort of mid 75, 76, 77 region when we're talking at North Bankstown? 78. Okay. 78, in, yeah, North Bankstown. And then, yeah, and I, as I said, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, actually got a bit of success there as, as well. Um, and, and as I said, mostly the confidence with, with my knee and things like that as well, um, which, which helped, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of where, where my next move was. And and that next move was Blacktown City. So, um, uh, like you said, your your plan that you had in your mind had, had worked out to a certain extent. Yeah, oh, look, and it was a stroke of luck again. I was um, I was on a coaching course uh, at the end of '78 and uh, over at Narrabeen, and the um, the coach on the course was a bloke called Mick Jones. He was one of the coaches on the course, and um, I didn't know at the time, and I. I learned later that he was coaching at a club called Toon Gabby, and Toon Gabby, uh, the following year was renamed Blacktown City. So um, yeah, after the after the course had finished, we were talking and talking to a few different people, and he and he just said to me, "Look, would you like to come up and have a see how you go, have a run?" You know, and I said, oh, "Yeah, I'd, I'd like that because I'm looking for something anyway." So yeah, I went up and I, I, I you know, did a trial, um, did a couple of trials at uh, at Toon Gabby, and. Uh, and yeah, I got into the first grade squad, which is really good. Um, so yeah, that 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 worked out really well for me, and and I, I was I did have a lot more confidence in what I was doing then, and I ended up playing at the back um, with a good friend of mine, Cliffy Pointer. He was an Englishman, come out here, played in England for a fair bit, and then came out here, and he he added to uh, we played central defenders together, and with the way Mick we, Mick was an Englishman, and he and he loved his big centre backs and big centre forwards. And, uh, and I fitted the bill, um, and because I was tall, I was all right in the air as well. So I used to alternate between reserves and firsts in uh, centre back or, or uh, number nine striker or centre back. So it was good, and then I had a great time there. And uh, yeah, um, we played in the grand final at um, at uh, Sports Ground back in the day, and unfortunately, I got sent off. <laughs> My claim to fame. And it, it, was that unusual for you uh, as a player um, to? Oh, look, 
yeah, a lot of a lot of the stuff, um, you know, it's just silly stuff. Uh, if I get cards and things like that, but I've got to say, you know, I, I picked up a couple of cards. It cost me cost me dearly too. In, um, in one time when we were playing in Bankstown after I finished playing in the state league, I come back to play for East, and uh, yeah, I, I got sent off for swearing. And, and in them days, you you know, you only had to look sideways and you know say shit, and you, you get you know you get booked. Um, but yeah. You know, and that's when that's when they were pretty hard on swearing and things like that. And um, so yeah, I, I actually got sent off for swearing and and got um, rubbed out of the, uh, the gold medal award. So it cost me uh, because apparently I finished on the same points as the. Oh, sorry, I finished in front of the the one the guy who won it. But I yeah, because you got sent off, so you, you got rubbed out, which is fair enough too. Um, just a lesson in life, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Wasn't all the time, you know. It wasn't getting sent off all the time. There might have been, yeah. It's, and everybody does it. It's yellow cards for little pulling shirts and things like that, which which I don't, I don't uh, teach teach players. But uh, you know, in, in the heat of competition, sometimes you know you get into a into a spot where you might, yeah, you know, uh, might get a yellow card or whatever. But at the end of the day, as I said, it's um it's great now that the rules have changed. I mean. You know, back in the day, it was, you know, I'm, I'm talking about English football and we used to watch English football on television. Um, anyone listening out again, you know, that older age would, would remember the the big match, the BBC big match. And uh, this is in the late 60s, early 70s and into the 80s. Um, and they used to take the game and fly it over um, in them days. So we'd watch it and, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the things going on in that and some of the tackling and and things that they'd get away with they wouldn't get away with these days which is which is great anyway you know because that's the way that's the way it should be yeah definitely and and after blacktown city slash toon gabby you then had some time at uh blacktown united in state league two yeah at the end of the at the end of the season we we were you know they were doing contracts again and, and mick Mick just said, "Look, you, you know, we're going to the NSL. Um, that was the next year. That was their team in NSL." And he said, "You're probably not going to get a lot of match time." And uh, and I just said, "Look, that that's okay." Um, so you got to admit sometimes that you're not good enough to get into the side. Um, and they were going into the national league, so it was a step up again. So they were buying buying players and bringing in players from other clubs. Um, so yeah, Dave Zeman, who was a he was the reserve grade coach at, um, at Blacktown City. And a former soccer uh, and, a, and a defender as well. Um, he said to me, he, he said when when Mick rang him, Mick rang him and said, "Look, I'm cutting Norm." He said, "You want to have a chat with him?" So he, he rang me and said, "You know, do you want to come over?" And they made me a bit of an offer, a good offer, and I went over. So I spent a year there, and that was good. And uh, again, you know, he added to my uh, understanding of, you know, he gave me another dimension in in what he believe was good defending and things like that and and uh, yeah how to how to work against certain strikers and things like that so yeah so that all added to the to the mix um but yeah i had a, had a good time there and he was another good person you know a very good person good coach and a, and a good person as well uh, always looked after you always looked at, you know made sure that, that i was okay he knew that i was traveling up from from Uguna all the time and just making sure that i was okay with everything and yeah it was a good time was that the and and not disparaging when you then went back to play at East Bankstown? But was that the the last high level that you you played yeah. at um, before sort of entering at a quicker rate to the coaching ranks? 
yeah, well, going back to East Bankstown was 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 natural for me anyway because that's my home club and I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to go back there and do well for the boys, you know, for the boys in the, they were in what they call the Premier League at the time, which is they called it the Premier League. Um, you know, in, you know, in local associations were always calling their top top all age competition the Premier League uh, until a few years ago when they couldn't because the national Premier Leagues came in. But yeah, it was um, it, it sort of helped out with the coaching as well because. Uh, I had a little bit more time to dedicate dedicate to to coaching, um, so it, I think it worked out quite well uh, in in terms of you know one door opens and uh, closes another opens. Well, I I got more time to invest in in coaching, um, and in particular you know state teams at that time. So uh, I think again I think it was meant to be that um, you know that I wasn't good enough to play in that that next level, but. There's an opportunity there for me to get involved, get involved in coaching and go back to the club where I love, you know, where I love the football, learning football. And uh, for the people that are listening, and and um, it's it's sort of uh, hard because some of the uh, we'll talk a bit more about your coaching now because some of that happened concurrently while, like you said, while you're playing, you're coaching. But but in terms of your football coaching. Um, can you tell the listener about how your career started all those years ago as a as a thirteen year old coaching an under eight team at East Bankstown? Yeah, well, uh, well, as I said, uh, Don Don got me involved. I was I was you know living at the ground basically. That was my second home, and and he, he sort of took me under my my wing and uh, his wing, and he said, "Would you like to coach my son's team?" And I said, "Yep, I'll do that." And I had long hair halfway down my back, like you did in those days. <laughs> And uh, I was a bit of a cheeky, cheeky person, I'd say. And um, yeah, he, he he gave me a lot of good guidance and grounded me, and and really inspired me to go on with with coaching and you know trim me up, um, run up and down the sideline like a madman when you when you're a young bloke and you know you're trying to get the, get the kids to do what you do all the time. And he he taught me a lot about uh, you know a lot about group management with the kids and and just various things in life that uh, you know that you need to know going through and you're working with other people you know and and uh, they're looking up to you so you know you need to you need to make sure you're doing all the right things as a, as a 13 year old um you know i'm sure that a lot of people out there don't understand it as well as a 13 year old in them days it was a bit rough and ready so you know he had to he had to shave the edges off me a bit uh which he'd done beautifully and um uh, and you know I, I sort of only lasted a couple of years with um being an idiot running up and down the sideline and doing that and yelling at the players all the time. And, and he, he managed to, you know, to shape me into something a lot more than I was when, I, when he got to, you know, when he took me under his wing. 13, though, is a, is a young age. So, um, you know, uh, trimming the sides, like you say, is, um, you know, you, you're not even, well, you're just becoming a young man, I guess. So uh, um, to be uh, doing a, some some things like you said it's it's not really uh, out of the ordinary for someone that age but but in terms of East Bankstown you, you spent several years there c- coaching junior boys youth teams and and the club's first women's team in 1977 so was there a point in time where you thought I'm not just down at the ground but I enjoy this coaching caper oh yeah I, I, I actually as I said I, I fell in love with it from day one um, and you know the fact that the fact that the um, the kids were having fun, and I, I can still cast my memory back. We had we had a kid there called Rod Brown who went on and played for Brisbane, that's uh, Brisbane Roar. His son plays for Brisbane Roar at the moment, Corey. Um, but Rod, Rod, uh, no, 
nothing that I did made him any better than he was. But he came to us uh, in the under eights, and um, he went on and played for Australia. He played uh, he played in the 1970 uh, of 83, sorry, 1983 uh, World Cup opener, youth World Cup opener in Mexico in front of 100,000 people at the Azteca Stadium. So, um, and they were they were also instrumental in, in shaping who I was. The Brown family. They had four boys, and Rod was the, they were all soccer players, good good footballers, and Rodney was obviously the best of them. And uh, yeah, as I said, he went on to play for Australia. But them them two families there were really my you know, second, third family, if you like. Um, but yeah, in terms of coaching, I, I fell in love with it from day one. I, I just, I just love doing it. I love getting, getting up there and working with the players. And and it's still not any different now. The passion's still there. Only I've changed, I've morphed into something different. Obviously, through the different places I've been, um, I've morphed into something totally different to what I was when I when I first came into the game. And um, but it's always been. My my one philosophy has always been the players. The players are the ones that've got to uh, enjoy it the most. And um, you know, with every team I coach, the last thing I say before we go out is generally enjoy yourself. And through those sort of late seventies and then early eighties, you were coaching at East Bankstown. Um, was it a bit of a? I'm not too sure what you were doing vocationally at that point, but. Was it then a, a sort of leap of faith that in '84 you you started uh, coaching representative teams for the Bankstown District and and Zone? Yeah, I think that that opportunity came about from you know sort of uh, working with players, and then an opportunity came up. It was an ad in the local paper for rep coaches, and I I went along and did an interview, and then and then got a got a role. Um, with one of the sides, um, and then again that 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 again, you know, adds adds another layer to my development because you, you've got to go from you know coaching a bunch of kids that that um, some want to be there, some don't, um, and this is this is evident these days anyway. It's never changed. Some are there for the reasons they just want to play with their friends. Some are some are you know got stars in their eyes and they want to you know they want to go on and, and do something in football. So you've got to cater for. All, all those players and, you know, in, in your rep teams, it, it adds another level to to what you need to, to understand. And, and what you need to understand is you need to develop your um, – or broaden your horizons, broaden your, you know, your understanding of the game and your teaching of the game technically and tactically with rep players is far different to what it is with – well, not far different, but different to what it is in club football. So you need to you – know, as a coach then, you need to up your game and start to, you know, study the game a bit more. And uh, I've always been a, a student of the game and I, I what I love is, is um, you know, watching the game and trying to work out you know, work out what to do next and, and how to how to read what's, you know, what might happen next or, you know, so you're always challenging yourself. And as I said, taking on that representative job brought in a whole new uh, range of range of uh, things that I had to be aware of. There's a level that you need to go to at rep football that gives the player what they need over club football. And at that time, um, not that I want to delve into your personal life, but you were working somewhere else and this was an additional role that you took on? Yeah, yeah. So what I tried to do all my life was I tried to, because um, I wasn't very intelligent at school, I'll tell you that right now, um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I got through it. I don't know how I did. I got a, I got a pass in French and I know about four sentences in French. <laughs> but but uh, 
uh, as I said, I left in year ten, and I um, got I got into jobs where I could where I could have time to go to football. So when I was old enough to drive, um, I, I drove a bread bread van. I, I was a bread vendor, so I, I got opportunity in the day. So it was early in the morning work, and I'd finish by midday, so I'd have enough time to go and do what I needed to do. Uh, other times I was driving contract work, you know, doing pickups and deliveries and stuff like that. Yep. I had a number of jobs where I I could um, put in that extra time, you know, to training. I, there was sometimes, and my wife still goes on about it today, there was sometimes when I was doing two jobs during the day and then going to coaching in the night. So we'd sort of leave messages on the fridge to each other. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that was that was what I was in the day. But I... I I deliberately tried to get jobs where I uh, where I had time to to do things like you know plan sessions and things like that, and and you know have have that little football thing on the side where I needed it. Eighty six there with the Bankstown Soccer Association, you were appointed coaching director. Uh, what did this ro- role entail in in nineteen eighty six? You go to a new level again because you now then got to um, you know then got to start to think about. Um, you know, planning uh, periodised sessions and seasons and things like that. So back in that day, it wasn't as involved as it, as it is now. But um, certainly, you know, when you've got to manage and mentor a group of coaches, and some of those some of those coaches were a little bit older than me, so it was, it was a tricky situation. Um, you know, you couldn't just go in there and put the hammer down and say, this is what I want you to do. It's um, And it's never been that way anyway. Uh, and again, I was lucky with, people who I had around me were business people and uh, and they taught me a little bit about, you know, um, leadership and things like that. So that's where I got all that, uh, them things from. I got, these people came in and could teach me nothing particularly new about the game, but what they did was they gave me lessons in, you know, leadership things and, and stuff like that. They were the things that I needed at that level. Um because now I wasn't just coaching a team, I was in charge of a, a group of people who were coaching coaching the teams for us. So we had to, you know, we had to have a philosophy, what we wanted to get out of the game, what the kids wanted to get out of the game, what the parents wanted to get out of the game. And we had a responsibility to work with each other. So, uh, yeah, it was a whole new thing. So I wasn't just coaching a team now, I was, I was actually running a group of coaches and, and mentoring them and, and working with them to help them to get better. So you go from... Um, actually, you know, having to do it to to encourage it. So I was I was in a situation where I, I I understood what we wanted, you know, from the from the program, but I also had to get the buy-in from all the coaches to make sure that they were on the same page. And as luck would have it, again, even even though a couple of them were older than me, we all bought into the same philosophy, and we uh, we had this uh, attitude that you know, again, it's about the kids, it's about the players, it's about the parents taking them on the journey and trying to educate everybody at the same time um, what what to look for in the kids' games. Do you think it helped when you took on that that role as, as coaching director that you knew the area, you'd sort of grown, grown up in Bankstown and, and that yeah. area, so you that sort of helped that you knew the, the environment, so to speak, in terms of club land and, and how it yeah. sort of roughly worked? Yeah, it was easy, it was easy because, as you said, you're, you're a local. You know the lay of the land. You know the, the, the traps, the pitfalls. Uh, you know where you know where the good players are. And if I don't know where the good players are, I know someone who does know where they are. Yep. And you know where the not only the good players, but the players who are the right players that you want. 
um, in 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 your in your system, and the right parents parents with the right attitudes that you want in the system, and that's what we try to carve out. We try to carve out a good. What we wanted was, you know, it wasn't necessarily always the best player that got into the side. It might be that the, that the best player might have had a you know terrible attitude or whatever, um, and if we couldn't fix that attitude. Then we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time trying to fix fix attitudes rather than trying to help them develop their football. So invariably, um, and not very often, by the way, it, it might be one in one in fifty or whatever uh, player doesn't make the side, pretty much because their their attitude doesn't stack up. And and we can't have um, and uh, I heard a bloke say it once once before. It's a no D head policy. Um, and now we said it, but uh, it, it, it fits the bill um, because if you if you're spending most of your time trying to you know trying to fix up issues and not working where you should be working, well, you, you're working against yourself in a way. So, luckily, as I said, it would be one in fifty people that, that that would happen to. That we we wanted the right culture at our club, our Bankstown, and we wanted to make sure that you know everybody was doing their best to be their best, um, and that was whether you're a coach. Uh, whether you or me uh, as the director of coaching or you're one of the parents, you know, uh, watching the games and things like that. So we, again, I had a mission to um, oversee that whole thing, which is vastly different to actually hands-on coaching. Yeah. And and then getting the best out of them coaches uh, and, and then getting the best out of me as well. Uh, so, you know, as I said, we built we built a culture there that we could be proud of and, and we, we're actually in the game of sending players to other clubs. Uh, and I still remember to this day, there's a bloke called Luke Maguire, a young kid, goalkeeper, very talented goalkeeper. I think he went on and played for the state. And he coached in the uh, Premier League against me up here when he when he coached Tarawana. Uh, Luke, he was a good goalkeeper and um, he sort of got to a point where we couldn't do anything for him anymore. So we sent him off to Marconi because they, they had a goalkeeper coached up there and uh, and that's what we did for him. And, and we did that with a lot of players where we said, look, you know, maybe you're getting a bit good for this. And we we, you know, we feel you should go here or there and, and always send them to, to good coaching, not just to the club because it was a bright lights club. Yeah. That was I saw that as, as the role of the Bankstown district at the time. Uh, yeah, we were we were envious of getting into, you know, into the top top league in, in youth league. But at the end of the day, again, it's about the player and you know, uh, another one who came out of Bankstown. There's been lots that come out of Bankstown, but your listeners would know David Huxley, who played for the Wolves. Yeah. Um, had a good career with the Wolves. He, he came out of Bankstown at that, at that time as well. But yeah, yeah, it was more about changing what I did into being the the overseer of the programs and working with the coaches um, and not actually. You know, I put on sessions, but I wouldn't actually coach in match days unless they were away and things like that. Did you, um, at this point in time, before we talk about um, in 89 where you were appointed the the coaching course staff instructor at Soccer Australia, did you have um, someone, let's call it a mentor, or someone that was close to you from a footballing sense that you could call upon? Because even though you know you've you've got to that position you're still learning yourself we're always learning so did you have someone that you could sort of talk to i was dead lucky i i I had a a guy i had several people um david lee the new south wales technical director at the time he was he was instrumental in in uh, me getting that position uh, as a staff coach um we went to a we went to a little course. Um, I call it an exam, if you like. But we went to a little course uh, over a couple of weeks, weekends, and uh, they ended up taking five of us 
uh, up into a role of um, of uh, staff coach in New South Wales. So we were we were we were working with the New South Wales people, which really was just the greatest Sydney area. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, David was one of my mentors. Uh, Vic Dalgleish. Now Vic uh, Vic's a Scotsman, a wily old Scotsman. And uh, he was fantastic for me. He he actually coached uh, Rod Brown's state teams um, back in the day, and um, yeah, he he was he was very very good for me. Uh, he, he invited me into the change rooms at, uh, when he had state team trainings down at Gosling, uh, down at our park at East Bankstown, and uh, I learned a hell of a lot of him uh, about different things. He was one of my, as I said, one of my medals with David Lee. You'd know uh, your listeners might know John Haynes from from Sutherland up there. He was one one of one I worked with. Yeah, so I was I was lucky to have uh, a lot of people that I worked with, and they were again the courses were completely different then to what they are now. Uh, and I I just had to lean on a lot of other people for for assistance. So Kelly Cross, who now is the director of uh, football for youth in at Sydney FC, he was one who came through with me. Another guy called Oscar Gonzalez. Um, then the guys are a little bit younger than me, but we all came through together, and I was able to lean on them for different things. Oscar was uh, what well, Oscar was a good presenter. He was a school teacher and and a good presenter, uh, so I got a lot of things off him about, you know, speaking. I suppose speaking in front of people at coaching courses and stuff like that. And yeah, as I said, um, you know, when you're working on them coaching courses too, you, you sometimes you're getting ex players coming in, and I had, I had a ton of ex players come in and and work with me on different courses and. Uh, and it's a matter of how you, you know, because you're talking to people who are, are well-versed in the game, they've played at the highest level, and they're coming in to do a coaching course. So you've got to um, you've got to make sure that you utilise them in the right manner and, and they can help you in terms of what what you present and what, what um, you know, what are, what are some of the philosophies of, you know, uh, different levels. And 89, that coaching course staff instructor at Soccer Australia, how did that come about? And it was at this point that you were coaching full-time as, as a vocation? Uh, no, I didn't start until two years, a couple of years later than that. Um, I was still part-time, um, but I was doing more and more in, in you know, coaching and, and coach education and things like that. But yeah, we, we were we were uh, charged with doing the courses up at, up at Valentine Sports Park. And um, we, we would do the junior Junior licences usually would be done in the districts. So I, I, I did anything around the Bankstown, Canterbury, Grandville area. Um, and then the other guys would cover, Oscar would cover Northern Beaches and, uh, and, and others would cover different areas. So, so we had, um, at the time, five. There's a hell of a lot more now. But we had five people that were doing the role of conducting junior senior uh, junior youth and senior licensed coaching courses. Um, and the senior ones were out of Valentine Park and the junior and youth were running in the areas of zones, if you like, um, but that that was great. And uh, as I said, we we you know it's all scripted for you. So um, what you do is you, you follow obviously follow the script, but you put your own spin on on different things in there um, that that might be in there. So and and the courses were great. The people were, you know I, I'd reckon ninety nine out of hundred of the people that came to the courses wanted to be there for the right reasons. But then you've got always got the players or the people that come in that are um, you know. They've played a little bit of football, but they don't they don't particularly want to be there because uh, they don't think they and that still happens to this day. People don't think they should go to a coaching because they've played the game, but that's fine. Um, but it's not playing the game; it's actually actually being able to get that information across to the players, and that's that's a big big part of coaching is 
you know, there's always a, there's always an, the eternal argument or, or debate. What's uh, what's more important, uh, communication or knowledge? And mm-hmm. they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand because if you've got the knowledge without the communication skills, you can't get your message across effectively. Uh, and if you've got the uh, the communication skills without the without the knowledge, then you you can get you can get the message across, but you don't know what you're talking about. So all we're saying is all we're saying is that um, courses are important. They're more than just a piece of paper. They're 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 important. Uh, in terms of this as well, and this is where a lot of people overlook uh, the value of, you know, coaching courses. They they overlook the value of interaction with other people, other coaches, the opportunity to network with other coaches that are, that are like-minded like yourself. And like you said before, we're always learning, and, and I'll always be learning till the day they carry me out. And uh, and and that's a fact of life. There's there's things that you learn all the time. You know, if if not from if not from yourself. Uh, from from other people or from players that you play against and coaches you coach against and with, so that's what it's all about. But yeah, I, I was lucky to get that opportunity, and again, it sort of built another layer on my uh, on my thing because we're now we're presenting courses, so we've gone from coaching young players, you know, in club football, to coaching representative level players, to being a, a mentor is uh, as a director of coaching at Bankstown, uh, and and being able to work with the group rather than just standing on top of the pile and telling everyone what to do. Um, it's it's working with the group, so it's collaboration all the way through at different levels. And now it's being a staff coach um, is not uh, again it's uh, they call them instructors in the day, and I'm glad they've changed it now to coach developers because that's what that's what we do. We develop. You come in, and everybody comes in with some knowledge. Everyone knows something. But no one knows everything. I don't think. I think the only the man in the sky, or the person in the sky, is the only one that knows everything. I think. But uh, uh, but yeah, there's a little saying we have in in uh, in football that um, no one knows everything, but everyone knows something. So these these things that we do, these coaching courses that everyone does now, there's always that opportunity to learn. With. Uh representative teams and and you've seen a lot of players over the years and even in this period here you you sometimes can identify a a very talented boy or girl um or or young man or young woman as a as a player on the field um is it equally the same that you can sometimes when you were developing coaches um in this period that you could see a coach that that you could just tell, well, they're going to be successful. Doesn't matter in terms of results or or what level, but they're going to be successful. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think to a degree you can. Um, and uh, and I'll tell you one that I, I noticed a few years ago was Ben Smith. Ben Smith's uh, an Illawarra boy. The you you, you listen to your listeners know and know Ben um, if they follow the Illawarra Premier League. Yeah. Um, ben Ben with Bulleye won some titles and and he had his players playing some really good football um, back in the day when I was at Picton and, and Dandaloo. And uh, we, had, we had several good clashes with the teams. Um, yeah, and I, I, I thought from, from day one, he's just his mannerism, just the way he carries himself and, and the way his teams were playing football, you could sort of tell that he was he, he was turning into something pretty good. Um, I don't know where he is. I think he's still with Bulleye, but maybe as a, as a director of coaching or something. So, yeah, I thought, you know, he had a lot of talent. Um, you know, you've got other people that, that have been around the game a long time in, in the Illawarra, you know, that, that are our good coaches, but I didn't see them when I was younger. But, yeah, yeah, there are people around, and I've seen several several examples of people who just have that um, that ability um, to 
you know, to be able to communicate with people, to understand the game, to able to be able to articulate that as well to the players and to to the to the people or whoever they've got to deal with. Uh, they just have that good mannerism and 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 the thing is the passion, the passion to want to go out there and and, and do what it takes to get better and, and learn about the game and be able to be able to pass that knowledge on to to players effectively. Um, and I think that's that's what. For me, that's what makes a good coach is that passion, the desire and, and the want to do or the need to do anything they, they have to to make that player better or make that club better or make that team better. Um, when they start looking in the mirror, then we, we become – it becomes a problem when you start looking in the mirror because at the end of the day, nobody wins competitions. No one wins championships. It's the teams that – the teams, it's a group, a group effort. Yeah. It's the club. It's the directors. It's the it's the people in the background. It's the person that picks up the papers at the end of the day. It's that person that stands on the gate, collects the money. It's everybody in together. And when you win, when when the club wins, win the championship. It's not the coach. It's the it's the whole group of people. And that's what we've. I, I know 99.9 percent of our the coaches out there are like that. But you get the the odd the odd person there that goes, well, it's about me. And um, I think that the days of that sort of coach um uh, uh dwindling and um and i think it's a it's it's a great thing that um you know as i said we've, we've got a lot of people in this game that are there for the right reasons and they're, they're there for the the players they coach and the club they coach for and i think that's the most important part of all yeah definitely i agree with that 89 to 2008 you you coach new south wales youth male and female teams um and and during this period as well you you were football development manager for for Southern New South Wales football. Um, these concurrent roles where you're doing multiple tasks, um, your time management skills uh, must be amazing. But is it just a, a matter of being very good at project management and and then putting forward um, sort of tasks and and actions that you want to get through? Look. Um... I think yeah, when you talk about time management, it, it's it's really difficult, you know, and, and it is it is sometimes it overlaps and sometimes you you, you get you get to torn between two things, um, but you know in in the main it's it's pretty good. It's been it's been the state team for instance the state teams um, only come to fruition for three months about three months every year. Okay. So when when you say uh, when when you say that uh, you know people. People said this over the years. So, oh, gee, you know, you work with Harry Cool and you work with Brett Emerton and you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything to make them. Um, the person, the person, the person that should take um, take the responsibility for that is the, that guy I told you about, David Lee. He's the most technical um, person I know. He's uh, he's the foremost youth development coach in the country when he was alive. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you you work with these people and you and you. Um, and you help them in their journey, and and everybody that's ever coached anyone anyone at all should take uh, you know should should take a little bit of the credit for helping them along the way, even if it was just giving them a lift of training or keeping them happy or whatever it may be. Um, we've all got to take a little a little nip of that and just go, yeah, I didn't I didn't make that player, but I just helped them in their journey. And I was, as I said, I'm fortunate enough to go to to be have 20 years with the state teams and see some amazing players over the years. And some that never went on to play, 
you know, that were, they were very good at a young age and then never on, went on with it, um, you know, as, as much as they wanted to. But that's, again, a part of, part of a, a, you know, person that's involved in the development of these kids is to, to make sure that they, we keep them, you know, fairly grounded. But in t- terms of time management, that sort of thing it was easy because the state team was only over a three-month period. So we get them uh, into trials in around about August, September, uh, and they play they play in the national championships. Um, well, it was depended in them days. The national championships were in were in September, so you yeah. get them in June, July, um, and then now the, the national championships I think are in in July. So you've got to basically start in in you know, February, um, getting them ready. But yeah, we, we it's only three months of the year we have them kids. We pick them, uh, they trial. We we pick them. We go and watch the games. Um, on weekends and things like that. And if we can't watch the games, we get other people to watch them for us and, and report back on them. Then they come in and trial and then we train them for about six weeks and then they go away to the Nationals. So it wasn't that hard. Um, but you're right, in terms of time management, it is it is um, pretty tricky in trying to, try to uh, schedule everything in together. But, you know, I managed to do it over the years. As I said, I've, you know, I've got a good support network and, and that. So um, pretty happy with that. And... Coaching specific teams like those youth male and female teams in that period, even though you were, you know, a, a football development manager at Southern New South Wales, is that just sort of um, keeping different things that you like to do in coaching um, sort of alive and sort of, you know, you can do certain things within football development, but to coach as well, it just keeps something else that you you like doing going? Yeah, look, it's... Um What's good about it is you get a good variety, and not not a lot of people get get an opportunity to do that. You know, they they they're, they're coaching at one level and they've been there for twenty odd years. Um, whereas I, I've I've been able to to mix and match. So then I'm going back to my youth league side down in southern New South Wales back in the day, and we've got a different set of challenges. I'm in charge, um, and we've got a different set of challenges, and and the then the state thing comes along and then you sort of jump the next level and then you go to the next level where you're coaching the team and uh, that gives you another, uh, if you like, another set of challenges. So I've got one thing down here where I'm um, at the same time I was the the, um, director of coaching down here um, and I'm working across a group of about 100 players and 200 parents and, you know, uh, how many other things we're doing, coaching clinics and stuff like that. But then you're going, the cream, cream on top is the state teams. And as I said, that's you know that's uh, that's a three month thing, but it's only you know training once a week and then twice towards the end, uh, and it's only a week away at the tournament. So it, it isn't a huge, um, it wasn't a huge commitment over the top of what I did in Southern, but it added to what I did did in Southern, and, and again, it, it adds a layer of coaching expertise to your to your CV if you like, yep. um, because you're in charge of you know you you get. If you're coaching in New South Wales, you've got your hands on the best talent, um, pretty much the best talent in the country or, or, or close to the best talent in the country because New South Wales uh, was traditionally, and, and was before I got there as well, but traditionally in the finals. If if New South Wales missed out on the semi-finals, it would be a, be a poor year because, I mean, we've got the biggest number of players, uh, so we're going to have a big chance of having, the you know, the, the best squads. Um, so, you know, New South, there was a little bit of pressure there for New South Wales to perform. But at the end of the day, as I said, um, you know, if you finished outside the four, <laughs> it wasn't a great year for New South Wales. But 
um, you know, so there's a different different level there, you, you different level of expectation with the teams. But again, the philosophy is still the same. It's about giving these young kids that are in the state teams the opportunity to perform at their best for that one week at the national championships uh, and do what they can do. The other one was with the uh, Southern youth teams was to help them, guide them through a, a 22-game season and making sure that the coaches and the players were being looked after in the right respect uh, and developed in the right respect. So you've got two different things there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. And I can see why that's appealing. With the, the Southern New South Wales football role, it's a huge geographic area in terms of Gerringong in the north, Mallacoota in the south, and you know, Queanbeyan, and Goulburn, Southern Highlands, um, getting across those sort of geographic areas, it, it must be a bit of a, a challenge, but um, it must be good to see different parts of the country as well. Oh, look, when I was down there, I, um, and, you know, again, I, my wife's been unbelievable uh, over the years with what I do, and I, I was doing something like 35,000 k's a year um, in my travels to um, to service the area. And we what we did down here to start with, we, we just, we put out, we've got five associations. Uh, we've got Shoalhaven, Yurubadella, uh, Far South Coast, Goulburn or Southern Tablelands and Southern Highlands. So I used to do a schedule uh, of rotation. So once every five weeks, um, the area would, I would cover that, that association. So um, it was a, so everyone got an even, even spread of, of the, service and what we did was we established some um we used to call them centers of excellence so players would come in and that would be for anybody who wants to come in and get coached so we'd set up set them up and i'd have five or six coaches um that would be my assistants in the area and then we'd run the coaching clinics or the centers of excellence while i wasn't there um and i scheduled all the programs for that and then what we do then is the kids that played for southern branch because if they couldn't come to Nara for training they would train um, with a, another elite, elite group, so we, we what we did was we partnered up two associations. So the kids from Southern Tablelands and Southern Highlands, all the best players who were playing um, above the centre of excellence and in in the Southern Branch teams would train in their own association one night. Yep. So they do it tournament basis, Southern Highlands and Southern Tablelands, and then the same in uh, far south coast in Europe, and they do that. And uh, so we had a great pool of players, and we we. Out of that, we developed a lot of good players who went on and played. Matty Nash, for instance, just picking out a name here. Matthew Nash went on and played uh, uh, a lot in goal for uh, Newcastle and, and Central Coast. And I think he's coaching the Central Coast goalkeepers now. So he went on um, and did well. Um, Adam Federici, everyone would know Adam, um, former Australian goalkeeper, just retired from MacArthur Bulls. Said a lot of a lot of good players coming out of there, and and that's how we that's how we did it. And uh, I would travel when I travel down to the, the associations. I'd do uh, coach education on a Monday night. I'd do uh, club uh, club visits in the afternoon, and in the daytime during the days, I'd do schools, go to schools, and uh, work work with the kids in the schools as well. So yeah, that's that's what we did at Southern. And and as I said, it just took a lot of good management, good time management, and and a lot of time away from home. Um, away from the family and wife, uh, travelling up and down the coast. But like you said, if you've got to travel anywhere, that's a nice little nice little drive down that coast, down to Malacuta. Yeah, definitely. With those areas, though, has there been times there where, I guess from a uh, footballing perspective, where there just isn't the talented footballers in that demographic or an age group? What do you do there when, 
you know, the systems that you've put in place are fine. Everything is working how you want it, but you just don't have the quality of player. Yeah, well, that that's that's pretty evident everywhere. There's, there's you know, obviously not in the city as much because there's, there's uh, so many people. But, yeah, that, that's the idea. But everybody gets a chance to to develop. Um, and, and if they're not quite ready at this stage, then that's our, that's our job is to get them ready. So no, no matter where they where they sit in the landscape, there's always an opportunity to learn. Yeah. And uh, that player comes along and they're not quite quite up to the standard and they've got the right attitude, then I think there's a chance for them. And, and that's our job as coaches. If if, uh, if we do pick the players, then we're responsible for their development. We're responsible for giving them the opportunity to develop to their optimum. Um, and there are plenty of kids out there, I'll tell you now, there are plenty of kids not, not playing for Southern, who live in Southern, uh, that should be because – my my experience tells me that they, you know, they've got a little bit more than the, than the average run of the mill player, um, but they either don't know about the opportunity or they don't want to take the opportunity or maybe the travel's too much for them. But that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to bring back that old thing that we used to have where they can train in their own association one once and then come up here another night for training. But uh, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long hard road. Um, but you know. If people want to do it, then they, you know, we're there to help them. And like I said, every player deserves, no matter what level they are, every player deserves to get to be coached and to be helped to to uh, get to their get to their maximum, you know, to potential. Uh, and whether that be a club player, you know, if that's if that's just going to be someone that goes back to their club and and takes that experience back to their club, happy days. Because you know, for every for everyone we coach and they turn into someone a a, a, a referee, an administrator a coach or just a good player at their club or just an inspirational person at their club. Um, I think that's our role. That's our role in the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. With uh, Football New South Wales, you you then uh, through 2004-2009 held assistant technical director and technical director roles. Um, for, yep. a, for a lay person like myself in the game um, that's only been in club land, um, does those sort of roles, even though they're probably a challenge and you've put in for them because you want to um, have a crack at them, is there a sense of responsibility there that you, you take quite seriously? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you take a role like that, you, you're not now responsible for the five or, five or 6,000 people that you have at the branch, in the southern branch. You're now responsible for, you know, I don't know how many players we've got here now, um, but, you know, hundreds, thousands yeah. of players. And then thousands of parents on top of that, and then you've got all the coaches in the in the in the New South Wales as well. Um, as I said, yeah, there's a huge responsibility there. Then there's there's other things that go with it. So then you you know the management skills that I built up over the years uh, in in terms of off the field stuff um, and in the office stuff then increases with with that, that responsibility of being the assistant technical director and then the technical director of the state. So. If there's a whole new ball game of things, um, but as I said, I, I, I was never one for behind the desk. I wanted to get out on the field and, and do things. And, and in them days, you could mix mix and match both. You could be behind the desk and and then get out on the field and do some do some work with your state team coaches or whatever it is uh, that you needed to do as well. So uh, that's gone a little bit the wayside now. Um, they're more more stuck to their desk, and that's pretty much the reason I'm not at the FFA and that anymore. Is because I just wanted to get back on the ground again, and that's where I'm happiest. And uh, while well, I've got my boots on, and, and you know, working with kids and working with parents and working with players, and uh, and all that, I'm, I'm 
I'm most happy, and and I'm I'm now as 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 passionate as I ever was. The fire's still burning for, you know, for for helping people develop to their best ability uh, than it ever was. So yeah, of course, there's different responsibilities. Though, as I said, there's a lot of stuff off the off the field that you've got to oversee, and there's a ton of stuff on the field you've got to oversee. So I've got I went in, I morphed into a different person again. Uh, this person that had some responsibility with that men as well. During this time. Um... I think it was about 2005. You you joined Picton Rangers. When you make a decision like that, what what was part of the decision making to to take on a, a sort of the Illawarra Premier League is is of a certain standard, but you know you had a, a powerful role at Football New South Wales. Was it like you said you wanted to keep the boots on and involve yourself at a at a club? I'll be truthful, and, and I'll tell you I'll tell you this that I, I said before that I was running coaching courses, and I had. I had people on there that uh, you know that were ex-national team players and, and things like that. Um, we had uh, Brian Brown, um, Cliff Pointer. They both coached at uh, had good careers in a, a long time uh, together at New South uh, at uh, Bonnie Rig and um, and Sutherland Sharks. Uh, won many premierships and things like that. Um, you know, <laughs> I had tons of people there. You know, that, that were ex-players and and you know, highly credentialed players and things like that going to do our coaching courses. So I'm talking to them about coaching and I, I looked around at myself and I went, you know what, I've, I've now not coached, uh, apart from a club team, I've not coached a senior team before. <laughs> so I, I'm here telling these people what to do, not telling them, but working with them yeah. on their their understanding of the game. And I, I say to myself, well, hold on, what, what's my, my credential here? And, and respectfully, nobody's ever said that to me, but that's why I took up the role at Picton. It came along at the right time, and I took the role at Picton, and I went, okay, I'm going to I'm going to test my philosophy here, and um, and I don't think we've done a bad job. Um, we we had some decent players there, but the one thing I did um, was that all three teams were trained together, so they do all their their initial warm up stuff together and their ball passing practices that we did together. Um, and therefore, everyone knew that style of play that we were playing throughout the club. So everyone was, everyone was on the same page. So if we got a kid coming from third grade to second grade uh, or second grade into first grade, they knew what was expected of them. They knew the style of play we wanted to play. And uh, as I said, I, you know, I, I was really, really pleased. And, and it was nothing that I did. I created the environment. Um, and, and evidence of that was uh, we had a guy there in reserve grade um, and he, he only ever played reserve grade, but he was a great club man and a, and a decent footballer as well. But he was real old school. He was like, he played at the back and he'd like get it and give it to the next person, you know, without without mucking around with it too much. He'd play it long, you know, more times than not he'd play it long. So after after we done so many training sessions with small-sided games and passing under pressure and pressure on you and, and all this sort of thing, um, he became a good passer of the ball, so his short game, he had a long game, but his short game became good too. Uh, and his technique in those couple of years, he's, because we created the environment, nothing I did, nothing I did to teach him how to pass the ball, he, he became a good passer or better passer of the ball because he was in that environment where we played a passing game. And I'm pretty pleased to say that, you know, I think I think we uh, we took a, took a new style of game to, to, the, to the Illawarra and... Um, and we changed a lot of the, the you know, and there's nothing wrong with long ball. If it's on, you play it. And I'm not an advocate of, 
you know, you must play out of the back all the time. People are probably thinking, hey, you know, this guy's on another planet here, but I'm I'm not saying for one minute. And I said it, I said it on courses I coach on. I'm not saying for one minute you must play out of the back all the time. You must do this, you must do that. People that are listening will know that if you can effectively get the ball to the striker and then someone gets off the striker and you know gets in behind or whatever, that that's playing out of the back. That's the best way you can play out of the back if if you, if you can get it that all the time. But the other way to play is possession-based football, and that's what we did at Picton and Dandaloo. And uh, as I said, I was blessed with a lot of lot of good players. And and when I went to Picton, we had we had an extra player every game, and we had that just that club spirit that, that was built by Ray Carney. Um, and when I took over from Ray, um, God bless him, he's, he's gone now. But they had that. I didn't I didn't need to wind them up in the change rooms. They were already already suitably wound up and motivated to want to get out there and play every game and win every game. But all I had to do was create the environment for them to alternate between long ball and keeping possession, and uh, away we went. Was that um, uh, part of you, uh, uh, like you said, you you had that awareness that you needed to potentially do this, yep. and that was your thinking behind it, but, but was there a slight um, anxiety there or, or a bit of nerves to say, well, you know, maybe just from a an ego point of view as well, that if I if it doesn't come off, how will this be seen in the greater coaching community? Yeah, it was a challenge for myself, and and I, I was confident enough in what I what I knew about the game um, that that we would that we would be reasonably successful. Um, I couldn't have imagined that you know that we would, we would win a couple of uh, club championships and the, the youth and the reserves would go well. Um, won a couple there as well they did um but yeah look as i said i was i was always confident that not overconfident by the way um, because you're changing a you're changing a lot you're changing a philosophy um from a club you know that was a bit bit more direct and and there's no nothing wrong with that at all um a bit more direct into taking risks and um and, and keep trying to keep the ball as much as they possibly could like you said it was a, a challenge at picton and um you must have then been, from what you've just said in this interview, uh, extremely happy that that what transpired in in your period of time there, where you, like you said, transformed the club and and you got from from your own self, uh, uh, you accepted the challenge that you'd set yourself. Yeah, look, I, I, as I said, I was I was confident. Uh, I was confident, not overconfident. I was confident I could manage the group of players to to change the change their style of play. Um, and, and be comfortable with be comfortable with um, you know keeping the ball and 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 being able to being able to um, uh, dominate teams with possession and that was well before the Dutch got here by the way so uh, I was always a I was a fan, fan of Dutch football anyway and I was I was really excited when I went to the FFA and um, and uh, you know I, I worked with Han Berger who was the who was a Dutchman that came out to be the director of coaching or technical director for the FFA. Um, but I was a I was an avid fan of the the Dutch football in the 70s when they played, you know that nice passing game and the interchange of players and the positions and things like that. Um, they called it the Dutch swirl in in the day. But um, yeah, I, I was I was a bit, big big fan of that, and that's that's the reason why I, I did what I did at Picton, um, and I put them in the environment where they played lots and lots of small sided games, and we probably did 10 percent of our running without the ball. Um, all our, all our stuff was done with the ball, and it's just a philosophy I had from day one. Um, you know, so, and, and I know I wanted to go and 
prove to myself that what I was what I was advocating on coaching courses was 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 the way to go. So, and like you said, there was some success there. You know, uh, grand final. Uh, wins at, at Wynn Stadium, I think, against Dapto. But like you said um, a few minutes ago, uh, you know, seeing a reserve grader that, that played a certain way and and then had changed in your time being there, um, there's different uh, parts to to being a coach that, that give you satisfaction, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and that, that was, and I often say it now, that was one, that was one of my highlights of being a Picton was, was the fact that that guy, you know, because we created the environment for him, he he taught himself or, or became more confident with passing the ball, and and got his te- fixed his technique. And you know, for me, that that's that's as important as anything in in the game. As important as any win of the you know, grand finals and things like that. I, I I put that right up there because I go, you know what? Now he can enjoy his game a bit more because he's not he's not one dimensional anymore. And and I love it, you know. So. Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of good times at Picton and Dandaloo as well. You know, we had some bad times. We, we lost a few games where we shouldn't have. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it was was what it was. And, you know, I had a great group of players, uh, you know, and, and you, don't, you don't win games without great groups of people and players, you know. Um, you know, Alvin Sheckley and people like that. And, and then you had Noel Spencer, the ultimate professional, playing in an amateur or semi-amateur competition or semi-professional competition. You know, you get a guy like that who's... You know, you ring him on Sunday morning and he's in the pool, you know, mm-hmm. doing his recovery and stuff like that. And you just think, you know, there was there was other players there that, you know, I could name I could name lots and lots of players that played for us at both clubs. You know, Stewie Lowry at Picton probably could have been anything, you know, if he'd have gone to, you know, to two different places. Um, he was great. He was great at Bulleye as well when he when he when he left Picton and went to Bulleye. Um, yeah, I mean I have had a great old time. I've been so again so blessed to work with with so many good players, and, and these guys were amongst the the best players I've, I've coached in senior football. But I had to prove to myself that, that what I what I was spruiking was right. And so that's why you then took the job at Dandaloo and and Dapto Dandaloo Fury, whatever that um, merged entity was, and 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 was that just then another challenge? Because like you said, yeah, you, you had a sort of ex A League NSL players. Um, was that what you wanted to do even more? Well, that's the next level, see. So the next, and you, you, you challenge, you challenge, I challenge myself all the time. When the opportunity came up, and I looked at it and I thought about it, and I, I knew, I knew what type of players were there and what type of players they were looking to attract and things like that. And I spoke to Begsy, uh, who had been there before me, and I spoke to a couple other coaches around the place, and you know, um, the first thing they said is, well, you, you know. What, what, what's your management skills like? I said, well, that's why I'm going there. I'm going there to find out. They had a Man United of, uh, at the time. They were a Man United of um, Villawarra football. Um, they had a lot of cash. They got a lot of players. They had a lot of success in the years. So I was on a – and I still remember the interview I did. Um, I, was, I said, I'm going to hide in Alpha down here because, you know, if you perform, you're expected to. If you don't perform, you, you – you make a goose of yourself, but the difference was I didn't I didn't have to coach the team as such. I had to manage the team, so that's where the difference in, in England is. It's manager, and we call them coaches over here because we still coach and we manage. Um, we do the you know like say you know Alex Ferguson would manage the team. He probably hardly ever got, went on the park, put his boots on, and did a session. Um, he would do little bits, I'd imagine, 
but his coach would do most of the coaching. That's how it happens over there. But in terms of us, uh, that club there at Dan Lou, I had to manage them. I had to manage Alwyn. I had to manage uh, Noel. I had to manage Cliffy Lyons. I had to manage all them different egos. And they were all different. You know, we all, we're all different. So managing them was the biggest the biggest challenge for me. It wasn't getting them to play the way we wanted to play. It was get it was was getting them all on the same track, all in the same place. And you know, you had a, a, a ton of different different uh, personalities in the room. You know, um, and then you just got to work with them. And that's the challenge I, I set myself there with with Dan Luke. It wasn't about anything else apart from the fact that I I now wanted to see what my management skills were like. At Picton, at Picton, I I didn't have to manage them. I just had to I had to coach them and and help mould them. Yeah. But they all wanted to be there. They all wanted to be there for the club. They all wanted to play for that for that you know for the song at the end of the game, the little <laughs> the Picton song at the end of the game and things like that. And they they just had a different different um, uh, persona to any other club I've been at. They just had this. This 12th player, this person that was like, it was the team song at the end of the game. It was the spirit they had. And as I said, Ray and others that came before Ray helped build that spirit. And that, that gives you an extra leg up during a game all the time. But yeah, then I had to go into managing the time team at, at Dandaloo. So that was great. And, uh, and I, I care to think that I did a pretty good job there, just keeping those people on track and in, you know, with their, with their mind on the job instead of, you know, running off in different different directions. And without um, naming names, because I don't uh, want to know, but uh, can you sort of talk uh, sort of vaguely about uh, some challenges that you may have had there in terms of uh, certain potential issues that you had to manage to then to get that success? I don't think don't think there was any ones in particular. There'd be ones that uh, maybe occasionally they, they wouldn't put in what they needed to at training. Maybe they felt they had a hard day at work and they didn't have to train as hard as others. Um, there might have been others that took liberties with with injuries, um, and, and this is going across both clubs. And this yeah. would be this would be, and I'm not naming names anyway. I don't want to name names, but not not anything big. You know, it's it's, uh, it's not anything big at all. It's just you get it everywhere. You know, you get you get the guys who who won't put in sometimes. You get guys that put in all the time. Um, then you get other guys that uh, stroll around and do what they want to do. But you, that's all part of management. That's all how, how you, you've got to manage people and, and egos and things like that as well. Yeah. So we had some guidelines. We had we had guidelines, and we, we we worked on you know we worked on certain things that we we would accept and we wouldn't accept. Uh, and I'll never accept anybody. And it's luckily it's not happened to me too much in my life. I'll never accept anybody talking about another player so when you start uh, talking about players and this is this is what I get sometimes with parents and that as well when you're talking to them about their child and they don't they don't necessarily agree and then they start to go well uh, you know what Norm's not doing that and you know once you start talking about other focusing on other people you're talking to the wrong person but luckily that doesn't happen too much but I'm just giving you a bit of an insight into and people out there will go yeah that's right I that that character is a bit like that and I played with a player that looked you know he's a bit like that and but I grew up as I said <laughs> the way that I grew up and, and the way that, that I was helped and mentored in my younger years and the background that I've got leads me to that sort of attitude uh, that that's not what that's not what what I did as a kid it's not what I do as a kid and it's not what I do now 
the first the first person I look to is me. If if my team's lost, um, even my over forty fives, you know, if I haven't performed well or whatever it might be, um, then the first look goes at me, and then the next look goes at anything else. It's like a school photo. Who do you look Who do you look at first in the school photo? <laughs> Yourself. You look at right. So that's what you should do. Yep. Before and after every game, before and after every training session, you should look at yourself and then go, okay, am I going to do the best for my team today? If I do my best for my team, then then I'm happy. Um, whether Well, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm happy if we, we go all right, but if we, uh, we get smacked, it's a different thing. But, uh, yeah, because you're, you're angry at yourself. But, but what I'm trying to say is, is self-reflection is very, very important, and we use it in coaching. And we should use it in playing all the time because it's, it's so important when you turn around and you turn that microscope on yourself and go, okay, did I actually do that well today? You know, and, and what could I do better, you know, to be to be as good as I can for my mates, whatever. But, uh, yeah, you know, as I said, it was management, pure management. 2000 and uh, I think it was 2013 and, and 14, yeah, uh, the summer season of the W League, um, assistant coach role came up with Western Sydney Wanderers and then... And then um, after that, you then took the team. Um, yeah. What is it like taking a, a national tier team in an, in the top competition and one of the best competitions in the world for for females at the time? Well, that's the that's the next level. So I was always challenging myself with new levels. You know, going to new heights, learning about management, learning about my philosophy of football. Um, uh, so this one was the next level. This, this was like, yep, serious serious coaching in this. And, um, and next level man, uh, person management. If I had my time again, I'd do, do some things differently. I'd do a lot, lot of things differently. Um, and it was, great, look, it was a great experience, a great ride for me. Um, I took over from Steve. <laughs> yeah, I know you said Roach there. Steve Roach was actually the coach. He, he's a boy from Mallacoota, um, yeah. down the coast, Mallacoota, Marimbla. And uh, he, was, he was my coach in that satellite program down there so that's we were mates for a lot of years um yeah and and working in that working in that environment is hugely challenging because there's there's another level then you've got to you've got to be able to you know uh, communicate with the board the, G, the gm and, and the, the football the head of football and, and um and get get your get your views across the line your philosophies across the line um we we struggled and i'll be fair i'll, I'll tell you we, we did struggle um our biggest thing, our biggest uh, loss was against um, Perth Glory, and then the following week we came out and beat Brisbane Raw, who were leading the comp. So it's it was a it was a real roller coaster ride from time to time. But you know, part of that is that, that we, yeah, I think we had a budget of thirty six grand, um, sorry forty six thousand dollars, and twenty nine of that had to go to the, sorry twenty seven of that had to go to the overseas players, which we had three. So they're all guaranteed nine thousand dollars each. But I'm pleased to say now the clubs probably tripled, tripled or quadrupled that budget, maybe even more, um, and, and rightfully so too, because we had 16-year-old girls there that were getting nothing to play. Um, I, I, I pleaded with the football manager to give us some money to give them a little bit of petrol money, yeah. and you know I know they don't they don't drive. I'm talking their parents, you know, not giving them the money for petrol, giving them so. We couldn't get anything across the line, but that look, that's what it was in them days. It was, you know, everyone was on a low budget. I mean, we were, we were the lowest of low, but um, we had to do what we, we we had to make with what we did. Um, and you know, we had we had uh, three 16 year olds that made their debut against Sydney Sydney SC uh, that year, and 
one of them's in Hawaii um, playing with a co- in a college system, so she's got a college scholarship. The other one's on the bench for um, uh, Jada is on the has been on the bench for the, the National Matildas, Jada Wyman, um, the Indigenous girl. And the last one that we gave the debut to was Ellie Carpenter, and she now is a national hero in the in the National League. So three 16-year-olds played against Sydney FC, and, and I'll tell you an interesting story. The uh, commentator came out uh, before the game, and she said to me, we were walking on the field with Ellie and Jada and, and Liza, and we were just walking around trying to get a you know, look, uh, feel for the ground and that sort of thing. And she came over and she said, do these girls know who they're playing against today? You know, insinuating that and the almighty Sydney FC. And I just said, no, do they know who they're playing against today? <laughs> and, and yeah, so the rest is history. But yeah, I thought it was a, it was a nice little one-liner back to her um, to, to sort of say, we don't care. And uh, yeah, so, but among that, you know, we had Michelle Carney who, who had a couple of good years, Michelle, a local girl in, in Elora. Uh, she had a couple of good years. And, and, and the one regret, the one regret I'll, I'll take to my grade is that um, I dropped her for a match and um, and I shouldn't have um, in hindsight um, because I, I wanted to try something different. And, uh, you know, I, I, I admitted to her too later on, I shouldn't have done it. And um, I go, well, with Michelle, I, I, I really like her and I like her football, I like her attitude. And if we had, if we had more of them in the world, the world would be better off in football because she's that person that just gives 100%, doesn't know how to not give 100%. But uh, as I said, I took the, I took a punt on uh, dropping her for one game and that was the last time I ever ever thought about dropping her because she played every game after that for me. And um, if you look at people and they say, oh, yeah, we're looking for big players and things like that, Michelle's only tiny, but she's, she's a rocket. Um, and she, she does, she, she really plays well every game. So yeah, that was my that was my time at the Wanderers. But yeah, a good time at the Wanderers. I learned, learned a lot about my coaching. I learned a lot about myself, um, and I learned a lot more about man or person management um, with with the girls and things like that. So yeah, I had a good experience up there, and, and I can't I didn't regret for one minute, um, you know, being there. And and uh, and and again, they they just said at the end of it, they said, well, look, we're going in a different direction, and that's fine. That's their, that's their prerogative. And, uh, and away we went. And you've continued on uh, with your women's coaching in the last several years. Firstly, I think it was from 2014 to 19, which was sort of ran concurrently with Western Sydney Wanderers W League in the first couple of years yeah. with MacArthur Rams Women's. And then yep. um, you're currently um, head coach and technical director with the South East Phoenix FC. So um, at the moment, is that sort of challenge um, what you need in your coaching life? Yeah, well, as I said to you before, you know, when I left the FFA, I wanted to go back onto the ground. So uh, an opportunity came up um, for me to be the uh, technical director at, um, or then it became the football manager at MacArthur. And they asked me as part of the contract, uh, would I take on the women's team? So, uh, and you talk about time management, that was that was a, a challenge because I was actually, because the TD had walked out in the men's, uh, the boys, the youth, I was actually at one stage there, I was technical director of the youth and head coach of the women. And luckily that they trained and played on different days. So I could I could spread myself around a little bit there. And then you still had to juggle the you know, coach education in the in the association plus the um, plus the player development in the association as well. So it was a juggling act again, but again, something that, you know, I've had a solid backstop with me, you know, my family and, and my wife uh, that have helped me to do that. We had um, 
we were in, I think we were in three out of five, three out of five grand finals uh, in the years that we were there, and um, that was amazing um, to see. To see, you know, them grand finals were all high-scoring games, seven and eight goals in games, things like that, um, and the football was 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 smashing. So again, it was just another, you know, challenge for me to to, to go to the girls and see if I could then, you know, get them to buy into the philosophy and that. And also the men management skills came into that as well. But yeah, um, they were good. They were good challenges. But the one with the Southeast Phoenix is a big one now, um, and that's why I left the MacArthur Association because I wanted to take take myself into another challenge again. Um, as you've alluded to before, you know the player numbers are, are low down here, so we struggled a little bit last year to get get our uh, senior squad up. But they've got we've got 32 this year in the senior squad. We're a little bit short on our uh, SAP players, our skill acquisition program, so that's the Lilies. Um, the 14s and 15s are good. Uh, we need a few more in the 16s to make up the, make up the full number. Um, but, yeah, looking, looking um, you know, really looking forward to next year. We're going to have a young, very young squad. We've only got in first and under 20s, we've only got seven players over 20. Um, wow. And that's it. Yeah, new rule change this year. You can uh, you, you got to have um, you can only have four overage players in the under twenties. So uh, as I said, I'm excited, but I'm also anxious because they're a young side. But um, you know, some of the girls we've attracted this year are, are quality players. Um, we got a girl. Uh, all the players that came back to us from Stingrays live live down here anyway, and for one reason or another, they came back. Um, and a lot a lot's got to do with the travel. Um, and then uni and stuff like that. So, yeah, they're coming down to us. And um, as I said, we'll we'll have a young squad, but uh, it's going to be a great, great challenge to to get these kids to, um, you know, become the flagship for other women in, in southern New South Wales to, to aspire to play at uh, a representative level. A couple of uh, more questions, and I know I've taken up your time, and I, I deeply respect the time, Norm. With, uh, um, with your journey now, um, it's it's been a... A long journey as a coach. Do you think because you've that's one of your strengths is you talked about your passion, but you're willing to try all these different areas of coaching um, at, at high levels, at grassroots levels, and in between that 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 sort of stoked your passion and kept it going. But it, it keeps you learning all the time. Yeah, look, I, I think and that the, the word I've used quite often, and, and if you look at my CV, um, you, you'll see that I've changed roles probably every five or six years um, with with coaching and with uh, so if you look at my journey at Picton five years five years at Dandaloo um, five or six years down here in the southern New South Wales region then five or six years up at uh, New South Wales then another five or six years at FFA and then six years at, P- uh, at MacArthur um, yeah so it's all about challenges for me it's um, and someone pointed that out to me I didn't I didn't actually look at that, but someone pointed out to me my CV, and they said, "You know what? You change for five to six years," and uh, and and it's it's about challenges. Um, you know, Alex Ferguson stayed in his job for 24, 25 years or something, um, and you know, I mean that that's what he wanted to do. I'm in, I'm I'm in a situation where I I've challenged myself every time, and I'm trying to learn all the time. And I think the only way, not the only way, I think one of the ways you can do that is you can you change. Every every five or six years, so that you're getting different views of things and different challenges. So it's gone from 
coaching these little kids at eight years old, trying to get them to have fun and trying to trying to do as well as they can at, at one time. And then you're going into representative players where there's a different level again of, of responsibility. And then you're going into state teams where these kids have pretty much all got stars in their eyes and want to play for Australia. So you've got to deal with all the things that go with that, um, not just not just teaching them about things on the field, about emotional growth and, and how to handle disappointment and challenges. And then you go into the next level where you, you're working with, you know, semi-professional men footballers. And then the next level where you're going and working with semi-professional women, some of whom didn't get paid to play, some of who were only 16 years old and some were internationals from overseas. So how do you deal with all those different different groups? And then you go into a, a situation where you're working as the National Community Coach Education Manager at FFA, where you've got a different set of challenges again. And again, I went to a couple of courses overseas, or a lot of courses overseas, um, and I was on a lot of study groups for you know for the AFC um, in in uh, Champions League and, and things like that. So yeah, you, you're always growing. And we, we said it at the start: you, if you if you stop learning, you might as well turn your toes up. If you think you know it all, you don't, because there's no one that knows it all. And I said that that's a famous saying of ours. I've never, and another one that I, I've uh, saying I've got over the years is I've never seen a bad session. I've only seen opportunities to learn, and that's that's the philosophy I have. Because you can go along and you put, pick the eyes out of any training session you want, if you want, but at the end of the day, there's some things to learn in there. So you might be doing something that's totally wrong, where the kids are lined up and they're getting a shot every 30 seconds. And you might go, well, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I would change it here so the kids get a shot every 10 seconds. So just things like that. And I still, what keeps me alive, what keeps me young, what keeps me learning is is the fact that I, I, I work across, I have an academy here in Jeringong, and we work with kids from, you know, kindergarten all the way up to under 14s. And then I go out and I work with the women in the night time, or I might work with the youth, you know, at some stage. Uh, and I'm helping. I'm helping Brad out with Jerry Long this year, which is going to be as another set of eyes for him. So they're all things that, that that keep me fresh, and that's what keeps me challenged all the time with what I do because I put the boots on and go out and run around with the kids in the academy because you know, I love doing that. And then when you come to the games on the weekend and you see them do something special um, and you go, well, that's great because they're having fun and they're learning as well. And then you go to your senior squad and you put the boots on as well and run, get in them when you can and, and have a kick around or or whatever it may be, or just give them a few tips. Um, so every, everything's, everything's a big challenge, and, and it's um, the diverse number of things that I do is what keeps me fresh anyway. And finally, um, coaching. Uh, with When you are at East Bankstown, you had Jack who, who put the ball on a toggle and, and had sort of a bit of innovation there and was creative. What about creativity in coaching? Because as as we've talked over in this last two hours, you, you've talked about a lot of changes. So uh, is that an important part of being a coach, like being open to learn, but, you know, being creative yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there's different things. Uh, you know, when you talk about creativity, there's there's different things you can do, like in set plays, for instance. You know, you can be as creative as you like in, in things like that. You can be creative. And I, I like to use um, the players in, in creating things. Okay, well, how can we be creative here? What can we do here? Um, you know, it's not necessarily always me. Uh, a lot of the time, it's it's the players that are that are being creative, and and you've also when you when you want to be creative, you've got to give the players 
I I believe you've got to give the players freedom to be creative, to be creative in the right areas uh, is the thing. There's not a lot, there's not a lot of, of things you can you can change tactically to be to become more creative apart from the, the basic things of movement, movement with and without the ball and what do you do when you defend and what do you do when you attack. And and I'll give you an example of being creative. Um, how many how many coaches do you know that actually coach that coach the team to deal with when they're one player short? Not too many. Questions for questions for your listeners, okay? So then creative coaching might be Something like, and I've done it before, something like, okay, we play an 11-11 game, but we take a player off and we say play 10-11 now, 10 v 11. What do we do? How do we, how do we, how will we approach that? And um, we've done it a lot of years ago in the in the state uh, nationals against Northern New South Wales. We actually lost the player uh, and we had, we'd only talked about it pre, pre-camp and uh, what would we do? Uh, and we decided that we were going to leave three up front and we were going to go with what we had. So we, we kept the players up front instead of dropping a player off, which everyone else would do. As I said, it's just about creativity. And that's, I, I, I don't know apart from, you know, how much more you can be creative other than giving the players the, the opportunity to be creative on the field. Yeah, so, yeah, just creativity, as I said, you know, the creativity now is in the different systems that the coaches play, you know, and the, and the ability to adapt to different systems on the move. Um, so if you go out with a certain system of play and then you want to change it, um, you've basically, if you want to be creative, the players have got, to, have got to understand what they're doing first. You can't just say, do this, do that. As, as we uh, end it, Norm, I, I, I want to sincerely thank you for, it's been bloody brilliant, um, to be honest. I've, I've waited a, a while and, and I thank you dearly for, for letting me into you know, your personal space and, and talking about your journey from East Bankstown um, through to, uh, you know, South East Phoenix now. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been excellent and um, I couldn't uh, thank you uh, uh, highly enough of uh, giving up your time. So, um, you know, no problem. thank you very much, Norm. Um, really appreciate your time and, and thanks for being on the podcast. No worries, mate. I wish everyone all the best. And as I said, the journey hasn't ended yet. It's not going to end for a little while yet. But uh, well, I'll trick, keep trying to, you know, change things and challenge things. But thank you very much. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 65. I sincerely appreciate it. Sincere thanks to Norm for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.